Alrighty, we're back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 2, end of chapter number 2. Looking tonight at the establishment of marriage. And now, uh, in a few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at the home, the Lord willing, if the if Lord continues to lead me that way, uh, between Mother's Day and Father's Day, I hope to preach uh, several messages on the home and marriage and these type of things. Uh, so I was actually telling Pastor Kent today, I said, we're well, just going to preach this message twice. We're going to preach it tonight, and then we'll preach it again on Sunday. But uh, it won't be exactly the same. But uh, this will be a good introduction into a lot of things that we'll be looking at uh, on Sunday mornings in a few weeks. Um, but we're looking at this thing of the establishment of marriage. And you know, this thing of the establishment of marriage or marriage, the home, uh, I believe it's something that should be studied and taught regularly. Uh, I, I think it's something that we should bring up. I think it's something we should address. It's why, uh, if you if you want to call it a sermon calendar, when I think about what I'm going to be preaching throughout the year, I, I always, you know, it try to include some preaching on the home if the Lord directs me that way, because I think it's something we need to revisit, because we live in a culture that tears it down constantly. So as a church, we need to be constantly reinforcing uh, these things. But boy, I tell you, although it's something that we should always preach on and always look at, it, it seems that in the recent months, it has came to the surface more than ever. It's, it's something that is being attacked. And so I believe it's something that's very important that we look at. Now, a lot of times, whenever we think about uh, marriage and the fact that marriage is being attacked, we'll say, you know, well, it's only in our day. And although it is being attacked severely in our day, this isn't the only time it's ever been attacked. Matter of fact, ever since God instituted marriage, the devil has fought marriage. Uh, the first record we have of marriage being distorted from what God intended is in Genesis chapter number 4. God instituted this in Genesis chapter number 2, and in Genesis chapter number 4, Lamech, who was of the line of Cain, who was an ungodly man, was the first guy to marry two wives. And you say, well, well hang on, Pastor John. i got a lot of questions about that. The Bible's full of polygamy. Does that mean God's okay with it? No, that doesn't mean God's okay with it. And we'll answer that question more in detail a little later in the lesson and maybe some more later on. But we see that Lamech, he, he distorted God's plan. Two chapters later, he had had multiple wives and brought multiple wives in. And by Genesis chapter number 19, uh, we have the account of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there in that account, we have record of adultery, homosexuality, rape, and all other sorts of perversions of the union that God instituted in Genesis chapter number 2. And so we see that the attack of the devil on God's institution of marriage is something that has been since the beginning. It's something that the devil has constantly fought. But boy, I'm telling you, in our day, uh, it seems that the institution of marriage and the home is under relentless attack. It's worse attack than it's ever been under. Uh, there are groups, activists, and politicians who are hard at work not only to make their perverted ideas accepted, but to penalize those of us who want to hold to a biblical standard of what marriage is. And the, the marriage is definitely 
under attack. As we dive into the end of Genesis chapter number 2 here this evening, there is so much that can be said about the subject of marriage. And just in this little bit of an introduction, I'm sure you can see so many different directions that we could go and so much that we could talk about. And so... Uh, I'm hoping to deal with some of these issues a little more in depth later on in the Sunday sermons. Uh, but for tonight, I'm just going to try to stick on the biblical account that we have here in Genesis and look at the establishment of marriage. Look at the beginning, what God put in place. Now, I'll make some references to some perversions of marriage, but the main thing that we'll be focusing on tonight is just what it was that God established, what it was that God wanted, what it was that God put in place uh, whenever he put out the institution of marriage. In Genesis chapter number 2, and we'll start our reading in verse number 18, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll point out to you right here, this isn't part of the lesson. I'll point out to you here that the Lord knew man's need before man knew he had a need. And you know what? Not only did that apply in Adam, but it applies in all of our lives. The Lord knows what we need before we even recognize we need it. It says, and the, Lord God, uh, and the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a help meet for him. We see here that Adam is starting to realize that he has a need. God knew he had a need. Now Adam's realizing he has a need. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. The Lord's getting ready to provide for that need. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and, they shall, cleave unto, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, and Lord, as we consider the establishment of marriage in the home that, Lord, you put in place, uh, Lord, at the creation, I pray, dear Lord, that we will understand uh, the importance of it and the reason for it and the biblical basis for it. And, Father, I pray that you will help us, uh, Lord, as we live in this day when there is such an attack on what you established, that, Father, we will have a biblical basis to stand firm upon. And, Lord, whenever we encounter situations where, Lord, uh, we need to defend the biblical stance on marriage, that, Lord, we can use this basis as a place to start. And, Lord, to defend your word and to defend our stand on your word, Father, I pray. And, Lord, we'll thank you for it. Be with us this evening. Bless in the CG3 and the teen program tonight. Bless Aiden and Pastor Kent as they speak to the young people. And, Father, I pray that you'll just work in our lives. And, Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we look at this passage, there are several things that we can see about the establishment of marriage. But before I jump into looking at the marriage, I do want to point out one thing, uh, something that someone asked me about, and so I just want to clarify it in case anyone else has this question. In uh, verse uh, 18 and 19, when you read the passage here, and the Lord God says, not good that the man should be alone, I will make a help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. It's a 
appears that God made the animals after he made man. And so you read that passage and you're like, now wait a minute, which came first? And so the way we understand that is Genesis chapter number 1 gives us the chronological uh, events. And so it tells us the order in which the events took place. Then chapter number 2 gives us some details that fill in those events. So in chapter number 1 we understand the animals were created first, then the man, then the woman. All created on day six, animals first, then the man, then the woman. It doesn't take God near as long to build things as it does us. So he was able to knock this out pretty quickly. And so all this event took place on the sixth day, animals, man, then woman. And so when we come to chapter number two, we understand when we come to verse number 19 there that the Lord is not saying that he created the animals. It's that he had also created the animals and now he's bringing them before Adam. So that helps clarify that order in case anyone else had looked at that and said, now wait a minute, when, when did we get created? Uh, chapter number one gives us the chronological order of the events. So just to clarify that, now we'll jump right in here to looking at marriage. The first thing we see as we look at this establishment of marriage is that it is established by God. God established marriage. The number one problem that I believe we face with the marriage issue today is that folks refuse to recognize that it was established and designed by God. Man likes to think that marriage is something that man invented, therefore man can redefine it. They like to think it's something that man designed, therefore man can redesign it. But man had nothing to do with the institution of marriage. God defined and established marriage. Uh, there are those who make statements such as marriage should be based on love rather than outdated standards of a forgotten philosophy. People that make those statements forget that it was established by God. This isn't some outdated philosophy. This was established by God. There are those who, who advocate for attempt to justify uh, marital relationships between two people of the same gender. They try to justify multiple partners. They try to justify intimacy outside the bonds of marriage and many, many other perversions. Whenever you attempt to justify any of those things, you're failing to remember that God is who designed and established marriage. We have no right as His creation to question what He put in place. He established it. He put it in place. We understand that He is the ultimate authority and we must conform to it. Now that doesn't mean that we are unloving to people who are not following God's mandate. It doesn't mean that we cannot show them the love of Christ. It doesn't mean that they can't repent of their lifestyle and come to God. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does mean that God's way is right and no other way is right. No other way works. Only God's way uh, works. And so once we realize that marriage and the home are institutions put in place by the Creator for the benefit and the continuation of God's creation, a lot of times the fallacy behind man's ideas start to be revealed. When we recognize God put this in place for the benefit of man and for the continuation of, the, of His creation, and then you take that ideology and you look at all that man is promoting and you're like, they don't work anymore. The, the fallacy, the problems of them begins to be revealed. I believe in order for us to understand the purpose of marriage and what God intended with it, the first thing we must recognize 
is that marriage is a God-ordained union that must be conducted within his parameters, else it doesn't work. We have in the Word of God three definite confirmations, I believe, that marriage was established by God. First, I believe that we know it's established by God because we see that the concept of marriage is introduced in Genesis. The concept of marriage is introduced in Genesis. In verse 22 down through verse number 24, we see that God introduces what marriage will be and how it will, be, how it will work. This is the first marriage. This marriage was conducted by God between the first man and the first woman. Perfectly created by God to complement and complete the other. This was the first marriage that was ever done. These two people were designed to work together as one in the fulfillment of God's directive concerning their existence on earth. God first created man. Next, he created a woman. He created the man and woman to be together. When he created them, he created them for each other. And I have an illustration that I'm going to uh, try to share with you later, and I'm just itching to share it now, but we'll get there. But he created them to be with each other. He created them to be together. He created them to have a mutual companionship that would enhance their existence individually. Then he instituted the concept of marriage. And the concept of marriage that he instituted was the uniting of this two creations. Created a man, created a woman. Perfect, but even better when they're together. And he instituted marriages how they would be united. So we see that it was established by God because it's introduced in Genesis. But we see uh, that it was established by God because it was confirmed by Jesus during his earthly ministry as being from God. In Matthew chapter number 19, as well as in other passages, uh, when Jesus was here on earth, he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. This is Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6. Matthew 19, 5, And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. Well, therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Jesus was being questioned about marriage. He was here on earth. This is many, many years after the creation. He is here on earth. He's being questioned about marriage. And in order to give an answer, he goes back to the Genesis account. He confirms that this that was established at the beginning is the rule for how marriages are to be conducted. Uh, we see that Jesus did not consider the failures of men in his answer. Whenever Jesus gave this answer, there were men coming to him questioning him about divorce. What do we do about divorce? What do you believe about divorce? And there was some failures on the part of men to uphold what God had established. But Jesus didn't consider the, the ideas of men. No, he went straight back to what God instituted in Genesis and said this is how marriage is supposed to work. Oftentimes we feel under pressure to change how we view things because of the failures of men. But we can't change how we view things because of the failures of men. We must always go back to what God 
established. We see that later on Apostle Paul uh, referred back to Genesis when he was teaching the church uh, uh, who had questions about marriage. He referred back to Genesis. We see uh, that it was taught by Paul in Ephesians 5 and verse number 28. Paul is talking to the church there in Ephesus and he says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Then Paul says this, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Paul, years later, again refers back to what God established in Genesis. So we know that marriage was established by God. This was introduced in Genesis. It was confirmed by Jesus. It was taught by the Apostle Paul. Marriage was established by God at creation. Not something man thought up, uh, but something that God established. We can't add to it. We can't change it. We can't improve it. God established it. This is how God intends for it to work. In addition to marriage being established by God, the account in Genesis also teaches us that marriage has specific participants. Marriage has specific participants. We live in a day when folks are trying to say that anyone can get married to anyone. But when we read the Genesis account, Genesis tells us that marriage was meant for specific participants. I believe that one of the greatest violations of marriage has been the attempts to alter God's original description of who could be united in marriage. As I said a moment ago, in Genesis chapter number 4, we see that first account of polygamy there with Lamech. And we know that multiple examples of polygamy existed throughout the historical record of the Word of God. Now, like I said, some try to say that this means that God condones polygamy. God permitted it. It did not mean that he condoned it. As a matter of fact, if you read the accounts of the people who practiced polygamy, you will find they always had problems because of it. You think of Abraham. Abraham uh, was supposed to have seed through Sarah. Didn't seem like the baby was going to be born. Abraham doubted God. And because he doubted God, he took another wife. Not because uh, he was led of God or because God instructed him to or God condoned him. No. Abraham doubted God, and in his doubt, he made a human mistake and took his handmaid, Hagar, as his wife. And you know the story of the family dynamic and how the family just fell apart and how Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert, and Ishmael nearly died had God not intervened. This is not a God-blessed union. A very famous example is that of King Solomon. King Solomon, I don't understand that guy, but had... Uh, over a thousand, between his wives and concubines, had over a thousand women. I don't get that, Lewis. I don't think I could, I could manage that. And we're like, wow, Solomon, the wisest man in the world. Look at him. Yeah, but the Bible also tells us that his wives is what caused Solomon to quit following God. And if you read the story of Solomon, many times we look at the glory of Solomon and all that God accomplished through Solomon and his wisdom and all that Solomon built. But if you look at the story of Solomon, Solomon died in disgrace. And the reason he died in disgrace was because of his polygamy. And we could go on and on and on, but the Bible is full of examples of people who had multiple wives. But it was never... Because of God, it was always in disobedience to God and they always reaped the percussions of it. So we see, though, that 
And people have tried to alter God's original description of who could be united uh, in, in polygamy. Uh, we also see in our day that there's a, that are advocate that marriage can exist between any two or more people. There are so many absurd things being pushed nowadays. But marriage can exist between any two or more people. It doesn't really seem to matter. They can be united in marriage uh, as long as they love one another. And I use that word love very loosely, but that is the term that the world uses to define it. As long as they love one another, they can be united in marriage. And there are those uh, that have pushed this to the point uh, that, of course, we see same-sex marriages uh, becoming legal across our nation uh, in violation to God's intended design. Uh, but we see that it's even developed further into transgender couples who aren't even sure who they are or what they are. Uh, we see uh, this has um, had people who have even attempted to justify adults marrying children, all sorts of perversions, because they say as long as we love one another, that's all that matters. Well... Although love is an important component of marriage, that's not the reason for marriage. The reason for marriage is that God instituted that a man and a woman be joined together to form a family to serve him and fulfill what he has called them to do. And so we see, though, that people have taken and, and just violated what God intended. We look at, at the example that God gives us here in Genesis chapter number 2 and we see that in God's institution he united one man who was the husband with one woman who was the wife. This is what God instituted. This is what God put in place. One man, one woman joined together. Specific participants. You want a biblical marriage it will consist of one man and one woman. Anything else, you may legally call it a marriage, but the creator of marriage, the Almighty God, says this is not a marriage. What the government said does not overpower what God says. And in God's design of marriage, there are specific participants. One man, one woman, united together. The third thing that we see in the Genesis account, though, is that marriage is a miraculous union. Marriage is a miraculous union. Only God could take two creatures so completely different and combine them together into something so perfect. Now, you look at me strange. You've got to admit, husbands and wives are completely different. Now, if, if we had a bunch of newlyweds in here, I'd understand the confused looks because they don't get it yet. But two people who think they're exactly alike get married. And a year or two, three, one or two months, you know, it varies with people. A little bit into this, they realize, I don't know who you are. <laughs> You not who why when I didn't know and we realize we are nothing alike and then we spend the rest of our life figuring out how to live together, don't we? Figuring out uh, what this and what that and what matches and, and getting it all put together. Only God could take two creatures so completely different and unite them together so perfectly. Marriage is a miraculous union. When God designed a companion for Adam, he did not create someone exactly like him. Now, 
a lot of times when you see uh, kids, especially, and they, they're worried about having friends, you know, like uh, they'll say, I just don't have any friends, and I need friends, and you ask them what they're looking for in a friend, and they're, they're looking for somebody exactly like them. Many times, though, as they get a little bit older and they do find that friend, many times uh, your closest friend will be someone who's nothing like you. But many times in our mind what we're looking for is someone who's exactly like me. That's what we think would make the best match. But when God created companion for man, he did not create someone exactly like him because someone exactly like Adam would have not benefited Adam in any way. Adam needed someone who would finish him out, who would cover the areas that he couldn't cover. So when God provided, he, he didn't provide someone that was exactly like him. Neither did he provide a companion that was entirely different. Because had this companion been entirely different, uh, then there would have been no relevance, no compatibility, no companionship. Uh, Melissa and Kel and Kaylee, they have these goldfish in a tank, and they love their goldfish. And they talk about these goldfish and how nice they are, and they have names for them, and they'll talk to their fish. Them fish don't care. They don't, they don't compute. They don't get it. They know that when the food hits the top of the tank, they come up there and eat it, and Kale's determined that she's going to teach them to jump out of water and get the food out of her hand to show how smart they are. But there's no benefit to us from the fish. God didn't create a companion that was entirely different because then there would have been no relevance. There would have been no companionship. There would have been no benefit. No, God didn't create someone exactly like him, did it? Neither did he create someone entirely different. When God designed Eve, he created a being who would perfectly complete the puzzle of Adam's existence. It's as if God was combining two halves of a complex puzzle. I told you I had an illustration I wanted to tell you. I, bet I was thinking... Today, I was like, Lord, I, I needed an example of, of what it's like whenever you brought two things so completely different together so perfectly. And the Lord gave me this thought of joining two halves of a puzzle. So you take you a 500-piece a or a 1,000-piece puzzle, and you put the two halves of the puzzle together. So the right-hand half and the left-hand half are completely assembled, but they're separated in the middle. Now you look at these two halves. Although they are very similar in appearance and in design and in makeup, they are absolutely 100% different. You can tell they belong together by looking at them, but they are completely different. If I was to take a piece out of the right-hand half and try to insert it in the left-hand half, which is what people are trying to do today, I take that piece and I try to put it over here, Number one, it wouldn't fit anywhere in the left-hand half. And if I did force it in, it would ruin and take away from the beauty of the left-hand half. There is nothing in here that would work over here and nothing over here that would work over there. Both of them are completely 100% different. Both of them are extremely complex. All these pieces running together, all these pieces tied together, all of them intricately joined together, very complex. And each of them have something to display. If it's a farmyard scene, over here, this half has a beautiful red barn on it. This half has a big green tractor. They both have something beautiful to display by themselves. But when you put them together... Watch out for your glasses. When you put them together, 
these two things that are 100% different, completely unable to interchange, both complex in and of themselves, when you join the half of that puzzle together, you reveal a potential that you would have never seen as long as they were separated. And you have a union that becomes one. What was separate is now one pitcher. What was two pitchers is now one pitcher. And you can't find the same. It's interwoven perfectly. It is a miraculous union. When God designed marriage, He took two things absolutely completely different and joined them in something absolutely completely perfect. It is a miraculous union. In designing man and men and women, God designed a perfect union between two people who were opposite yet identical. It blows my mind to even think of how God did it. He designed two th creatures that were opposite yet identical. Not only that, He designed two things, two people that were different yet complementary. They complemented one another, completely different yet complemented one another in a way that had never been seen. In this miraculous union, two became one. Two were united as one together. We see that it was a miraculous union. The way that God designed it, man tries to improve on God's design. And two left-handed halves of the puzzle don't go together, nor do they create a beautiful picture. Man tries to improve. They say, looky here, this is a green tractor. Another green tractor, I mean, that, that would have to... No, no, the green tractor needs a red barn to complete the picture. And God knew that. Man says, I can make it better. God says, no, you can't. Only I can do this. God instituted marriage and it only works His way. The final thing we see about the biblical example of marriage is that it accomplishes a specific purpose. It accomplishes a specific purpose. When God instituted marriage, He did it for a reason. There was a reason that He instituted marriage. There was a reason that He joined Adam and Eve together as one. The reason for that men have undermined marriage is they don't understand why God instituted it in the first place. One very basic reason that God instituted marriage was He told Adam to be fruitful and multiply. Adam couldn't do that by himself. Adam could not fulfill God's will in that instance by himself. He had to have someone to complete him to be able to fulfill God's will. So God created someone who would help him fulfill that purpose. Marriage is designed by God to complete man in his ability to fulfill what God wants for him. Marriage enables man, as I've just illustrated, to replenish the earth with God-fearing seed through the family. And you say, now hang on, Pastor John. We could replenish the earth without marriage. True. But you couldn't replenish the earth with God-fearing people without marriage. By instituting marriage, we have a home. We have a father and a mother. I recently spoke with someone uh, who works with children and they were talking about troubled children and different types of children and they told me, they said, they said, it's very interesting 
If we get children who have a solid father figure, even if they're not actually, you know, a godly person, but they're a solid father figure, we really don't have any trouble out of their children. But if we get children who do not have a solid father figure, he said we can count on having problems out of those children. You see, God put families together so that together they could replenish the earth not the way that animals replenish the earth, but could replenish the earth with people who feared God and, and people that would know to love God and serve God. So we see one flesh. The one flesh is the family. But then we see that another purpose God had was to equip people with a life partner who would be able to labor alongside of them, helping them accomplish the will of God. Now, I know that we live in a sin-cursed world, and I know that there are sometimes circumstances where partners don't last for life. But the Lord is able to rekindle that again if we do it His way and we follow His leadership. He rekindles it again. And God brings partners who will be beside us, who will work with us, who will be faithful, and who will help us to better accomplish the will of God. Myself and Melissa are... Different as night and day in so many ways. I'm a more of a thinker, more of a, a serious-minded fellow, I guess. I, I do like to have fun, but I normally come across seriously when I'm trying to have fun. Don't mean to, but I do, you know. Melissa's all out. She's just a, a ball of fun all the time. And, and this translates into every aspect of her life. And we've been, uh, as I told you, we've been talking with the deacons about schools and what we can do as a church for starting schools and so forth and so on. And so uh, yesterday Melissa was here and her and I were talking about some different ideas. And so we went downstairs to show her something I was thinking about, something we could do. Don't, don't be alarmed. We'll keep you abreast of any changes we make. We're just dreaming and thinking, all right? And so I was showing her, you know, we could possibly do this or possibly do that. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. We could do it this way. We could do it that way. And this will be okay here. And that will be okay there. And my whole conversation was structure, structure, structure. And her whole conversation was loosey-goosey, loosey-goosey. I'm like, no, we can't do it that way. And she's like, well, we can't do it your way. It won't be any fun. <laughs> by the end of the conversation, although we didn't make any decisions, but by the end of the conversation, we had come up with a plan that was much better than my original plan and not quite as free-for-all as her plan. Together, we were better able to accomplish the purpose together. And we could give a hundred illustrations of instances where you and your wife or your, your, you and your husband have done exactly the same thing. You, you have differences. And early on in marriage, we have to learn that these aren't something to bicker about because sometimes that tends to happen. But we understand these differences complete me. I'm a, I'm a little too structured. I needed somebody to loosen me up a little bit. And she's way too off the charts. She'd have never made it through life without somebody to anchor her a little bit. And God puts us together so that we can go through life much better. So if, what's the purpose? To better, better equipped to serve God. And then there was a specific purpose in marriage in that it is a picture of Christ and the church. We can return to that passage in Ephesians chapter number 5 where Paul was talking and he was giving a testimony of Christ's love. There in Ephesians 5 verse 25, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The marriage union was to be a picture of the love that Christ would have for the church. And there is no better testimony that we, than we can give to the world, especially today, than a godly marriage. A godly marriage united together where the husband and wife love one another and work together is the greatest testimony that we can give the world of Christ's love for the church. God had a, per, a specific purpose. And whenever men try to change, alter, improve on, or straight up disobey, what God has in His Word concerning marriage, they miss the blessing that comes from what God instituted. They miss the blessing. And again, as I said before, I don't believe in any way whatsoever that because if, if you have a marriage that is a godly marriage that fits the godly principle, I don't believe in any way we have a right to be mean or hateful or unloving to those who haven't followed this. No, we need to love them. We need to be kind to them. We need to be gracious. We need to love them and allow Christ to work in their life and for Christ to teach them the importance of this union so that they too can enjoy what Christ promised. And look at it that way. God instituted a beautiful thing. And when you do it His way, you are blessed for it. And so next week we'll be moving on into Genesis chapter number 3, beginning to look at the fall of man. And uh, boy, I tell you what, there is much to be learned about why Adam and Eve fell compared to why we still fall today. So much to be learned there. Excited to get into that and see what the Lord has for us.